Hey there, everyone. From beautiful Fort Collins, Colorado, halfway between Cheyenne and Denver, and 5,003 feet above sea level, I'm Jeff Haber, and you're listening to No Bed of Roses. No Bed of Roses is brought to you by Conexus. Maybe your company is creating video content or you're a brand looking for that coveted direct connection with viewers. Maybe you're an established YouTube creator or you're just starting out. Conexus Interactive Web Video Solutions enables viewers while watching your videos to simply tap on the items they're interested in, directly connecting them to the merchant's shopping cart to easily purchase those items. This all happens without ever leaving the video experience and without ever leaving the site where they started watching the video in the first place. Connexus shoppable video content works using any browser on any device. No download, no plugin, nothing to install. Interactive video like you've always wanted it. Find out more at connexus.com. That's K-E-N-X-U-S dot com. Public health is defined as the art and science of preventing disease, prolonging life, and promoting health through the organized efforts of society. Here in Larimer County in northern Colorado, the man leading the crusade to beat back this pandemic, along with his incredibly dedicated and passionate team, has found unexpected strength, grit, agility, innovation, and adversaries. Public health professionals across the country and around the world are redefining what it means to try and be of service to their respective communities as well as the global community. Our guest today, Tom Gonzalez, started his job as public health director for Larimer County on December 3rd, 2018. And like all the rest of us, he had no idea what was coming his way. Here's Tom. I'm on the other side, my wife and I, of our second Moderna vaccine, which we got yesterday at the ranch. We had kind of a funky night. You've gotten your vaccine, both of them, yeah? Yes, Moderna. Any side effects, anything for you? I did. I I, I woke up about 3.30 in the morning just feeling a little cloudy and a little weak. My joints hurt. Uh, you know, just needed a lot of water. I just was thirsty. Was that it? Uh, you know, I, I felt... Pr- I had a meeting that morning from like 9 to 11, and geez, uh, I, I was working in my home office and I went to bed for an hour, took a nap and then got back up and attended another meeting. About five o'clock that afternoon, I felt better. So my wife really had the shakes. Apparently, it seems like women have a bit more, if they're going to have symptoms, they have them a, a bit more intense, kind of like light fluey kind of thing. And I'm, I'm already... I thought, oh, I, I love the poetry of this, that I get to connect with Tom just on the other side of this. That's great. So still having the experience in, in real time. But it feels like it's uh, it's already waning, which is, which is good. And I got to tell you again, Tom, I just feel like, I don't know if you hear it enough or not, man, but just from the logistics and the operation at the ranch, it's very impressive. Thank you. It, it's been quite a team effort to get where we're at. You know, I look back when we were trying to figure out how to ramp up testing you know, over a year ago, similar situation. And then here we are ramping up uh, vaccinations. Uh, just it's, it's when you step back and look at all the work and now the outcome, it, it is, I agree, it's amazing. And, and thank you for recognizing that. Are the staff that are there, Tom, are there volunteers? Are they paid? How, how does that work? We have a mix. We have paid staff. We have a lot of volunteers. That's been part of the, through the silver lining of this pandemic is just all the support from the, all the people, our, our, our residents, our businesses, our, not, our nonprofits, our municipalities, every one of them. How can I help? Whether it's uh, traffic control, 
to registering people, checking them in, to the vaccinators actually putting a shot in the arm and then people out doing the observation. It, it's it's just overwhelmingly the support we get for all of that. It's pretty incredible. Has that caught you by surprise, Tom? Are you you're a native? Are you a native uh, Northern Colorado guy? Western Slope. Grew up in Rifle. Came out here in '92 to go to school at uh, Colorado State University. Was here for over 11 years and did a little hiatus. Went to Washington State in El Paso County and. My wife and I, raising our two boys, we any chance we could to get back to Northern Colorado, we would. We did. We took it and we're back. So it isn't a surprise because this community, is, it's all about partnerships. It's collaboration. It's truly a blessing to live here. We're blessed to live here for sure. So wait, you grew up in Rifle. I can't let that slide. Lauren Bobert, uh, and he's going, oh no, don't don't talk about that. But uh, that small, a super small community, no, Rifle? You know, it used to be. I, I, it's growing quite a bit, like everything. Well, now they got two high schools in that area, one in Newcastle, one in Rifle. When I graduated there, was one high school in Rifle, and uh, they bust Newcastle and Silt in, so quite a bit of busing and traveling, but now it's big enough to support two high schools. This is indicative of everything in North, just along the front range. We got here from Austin now three years ago, and our neighbors just, you know, as we were looking for homes, Tom, our neighbors just go, oh, guys, that house was $250,000 less. And this is, of course, was a couple of years ago, not counting the insanity of the housing market we're in right this second. They were just blown away themselves by the growth that they've experienced just within the last, let's say, five years here. It's been big. It has been big. How do you come to Rifle? How did your How did your folks wind up in Rifle? My grandparents uh, settled there in the 50s. My grandfather was uh, the high school principal uh, for many years. I was born in Denver, and my mom brought us back to Rifle and raised us there. And uh, we were very close to my my maternal grandparents and, and my aunt and uncle lived in, nearby. My uncle lives in Fruita. He's a football coach there. So lots of public school background and community background. And, you know, Rifle is a great place to grow up. I, we're outdoorsy. So fishing, hunting, hiking, all of that, it, it's just a playground for that. So I grew up pretty much from second grade on and graduated from Rifle High School. You come from a family of educators then? Yeah, just about home on my family side are educators and my wife, she was a middle school counselor before opening up her own uh, mental health, behavioral health counseling uh, clinic here in town. And my father-in-law is a retired uh, superintendent. My family, yeah, bunch of public educators. This thing is in your DNA a little bit, huh? It is. You went to CSU? Yes. Got my undergraduate in environmental health there. What is your actual title? Public health director. When I think about your position, your role, your challenge, your burden, just within this last year that a position such as yours has become so fraught, at least from things that I read where public health officials, unfortunately, have been targeted because of the politicization of everything having to do with the situation that we're in right now with COVID. Has that impacted you? It sounds like, you know, you're in a very supportive and positive community, as you just described it. Has that impacted you and maybe your family at all through this process? Well, Jeff, I appreciate that question. And the answer, yes. Uh, certainly my wife could uh, share her perspectives as well. Uh, being a partner through this uh, and my kids. You know, early on, it really took a toll on me because I took everything personally. Uh, tough decisions. When I'm talking to our hospitals, middle of March, and they're telling me, Tom, this is getting serious. Our our beds are full. We don't have enough healthcare workers. We're trying to figure out what is coronavirus. I'm standing there thinking, goodness, we're going to have to do these stay-at-home orders. I, these are things that I, will impact every person in our community. But on the other hand, our hospitals are surging. And it, it's, if we don't do something at some point, we're not going to have any medical providers or beds to deal with just everyday trauma or a heart attack. So, you know, early on, you know, some of the criticism I, that I would receive, uh, I took it all personally. And it, it was probably around 
after we were coming out of stay-at-home orders and we got our variants in early May, that I stepped back and, and I went for a good hike and I just said to myself, Tom, if you're going to continue doing this, you're going to have to become more thick-skinned. You're going to have to uh, rely on your team, your, your staff that are well-educated, they're smart, they know the data, uh, and you're going to have to continue uh, leading the community and guiding the community the best you can. And you cannot listen to these voices. Uh, you're going to have to make sure you're, you're doing what you, your gut's telling you and what's the right thing uh, for the community to make sure that uh, we don't have that huge hospital surge. All the while, listening to our businesses and, and understanding the impacts to them. But yeah, it, it's been a an interesting ride. I'd say the, the, one of the other hardest parts to this pandemic was, you know, late November, December, when our numbers surged on the third wave and all our hospitals were bulging. We, we literally had no more beds. And not only that, the hospitals are saying, Tom, I don't have any more nurses. I don't have any more medical assistants. I don't have any more doctors. People are going to come in and they're not going to get the care. And when we had to make the decision uh, with the state health department, really twisting our arms that we needed to go to red, that was extraordinarily difficult to have to go from our variants that we worked so hard to get to open up more capacity than ratchet it back to almost stay at home. We were just one step uh, before going to stay at home. So that was difficult. It, March and now, or, or there's a lot more hope with vaccines. Uh, I, my wife's even said, I see more smile on you. I see, I see a little more skip in your step, you know, because we're starting to see at least our 60 age and up, less hospitalizations, less death. Uh, in April, knock on wood, we have not lost a soul to this virus because of the vaccine. So right now it's some light at the end of the tunnel, although our rate keeps going up and I just got word from our hospitals that they are seeing an uptick in some hospitalizations of unvaccinated people. So here's a shout out to get your vaccine, please. Please get the vaccine. Man, there's so much to unpack in everything you just said, Tom, just from your personal journey to your journey as the health professional that you are. It was interesting. I was talking to one of my twins teachers today and uh, did you get your vaccine? You know, I, no, I'm going to let other people go. I just feel like, now this is an educator, Tom, right? Schools have been open. She's, she's as vulnerable as anybody can be. She's not there. She doesn't have that confidence. I see the trend line and I know that we're on one hand, we're, we're loosening, 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 and people are out and the weather is good. And on the other hand, we're just saying that that caseload is, it's it's taken up as you as you said. When we say shout out, let's get our vaccines. Do you feel hamstrung by the fact that? And I don't know. It feels like it's half the maybe half the population that are hesitant or vaccine averse. Great question. I just was asked that yesterday. We're our clinics are still eighty percent to uh, almost full. Uh, for example, today we're at the Ottawa Center. Great partnership with the city of Fort Collins, a great location right on our bus routes. Uh, today, we're full at the Otsalon Center with first and second doses. We're starting to see a little bit of decline. Not, you know, still good crowds at the ranch, for example. What we are hearing is more of the hesitancy. They, you know, and they want to know more about this vaccine. What is this mRNA and what are the side effects? And I think that's the work we are going to need to be doing now. We've hired some outreach specialists to begin that work uh, with our various communities, uh, our Latinx, our, our people of color. Those, those, there's some hesitancy there for, for good reasons, uh, uh, for good reasons through the years and maybe some distrust with government. We want to sit down. We want to give answers to their questions. We want to be transparent. And then the, the, all the various people in our community that may want to know more about the vaccine. And then we have some that are, they don't realize that we are now in a different phase than we were a month, two months ago, where we had limited supply and there was an eligibility list. So people are like, oh, now I can come get it. So yeah, once we say, yeah, come on down, we've got that crowd coming down as well. So I think it's a, a mix of both. 
And our goal is we've got to get to the 65, 70%. We've really believe that's going to, where we're going to see a real steep decline in cases and definitely hospitalizations. And we're basing that off what we saw in Israel. Once Israel got close to, it's about 63 to 64%, their, their cases dropped like they fell off a table. So, and then that's when Israel was able to start opening up and increase capacity and remove face coverings. So that's really been our message is we want to get back to normal, some normality and enjoying Colorado as we had prior to the pandemic. And that's going to take all of us. I love that using that example of Israel. I think I saw it in the Times in one of the papers. I mean, they're they're partying. They look like they are back, which is how many of us have been behaving, but too early, too soon. Not enough of that. Not enough of that uh, adoption. Where where are we sitting right now, percentage wise, Tom? What do you what are you guys figuring? We'd love to see sixty five percent fully vaccinated fourteen days after the second dose of either Pfizer or Moderna. Right now we're right at 55 percent so close so close yeah at least one dose so i think we're doing pretty good and we're still last week we gave thirty-one thousand doses as a as a community and when i say that that's 19 providers uh your hospital systems and our our pharmacies our federally qualified healthcare systems are thus the health department when you step back i mean that's amazing 31,000 shots in the arm in one week. A lot of syringes. Oh, yeah, that's a ton of syringes. <laughs> it's a, and, it, and so we're seeing maybe, you know, we were doing about, oh, 4,600 a day last week. We're doing about 4,300. I got the numbers right here. So not a big decline. Uh, so I, I'm hopeful we, we can get to that 65% here within the next two to three weeks because our population epidemiologist, Dr. Jared Olson, has been tracking this, and he's been living it. And he's like, Tom, I think once we get there, we're going to start seeing the plummeting numbers that we all desire. And it will only be a week or so that we can start behaving like Israel. And I can't wait for that day. What do you feel you need? Do you need a community? You talked about Latinx. You talked about you know neighbors of color. You talked about just people who may be philosophically just you know resistant or they feel like they're still in that wait and see. What is that marketing approach? Are there ambassadors that you're looking at to get into those indiv- those specific communities? Or how do you say, hey guys, see this? See, see Israel? <laughs> we want this, right? Here's what we got to do. And this is ours. How, how do we do that? How do we make that happen? Jeff, I think it's all above. One model that we know works is called the community health worker. And that's where you get people within the communities, whether it's rural, Estes Park, our, our black indigenous people of color. And, and we work with them and we and their people of trust. We get them the information. We get them the, all the materials regarding vaccines and they work within their communities. They you know go right to their community. And then the biggest key, the hurdle has been registration. So uh, you probably heard yesterday, the ranch, you don't even have to register anymore. You can drive up. And we'll get you registered and then you'll get a shot right there. I don't know that I did hear that. I mean, we were already, we were coming for the second. Also in my scattershot approach here, it just needs, everybody was so freaking nice, Tom. Everybody. That's when, when I asked you about volunteers and pain and it was cold and it was gray and it wasn't great to be outside. And they were still so nice, so helpful, so genuinely enthusiastic to be there. It's, it's so impressive. It really is. We've, we've got a provider up there. Uh, their name is Nomi, and they've been the ones the last week. They, they kind of, FEMA passed the baton to them. FEMA got it all set up. I got some staff out there too yesterday, but I am so impressed, Jeff. It's all of our staff and volunteers and our providers, just their customer service. I have not heard one negative issue regarding our clinics. All I hear is the positivity, how people took the time to really help them navigate through that, got them registered. If I asked your nurse a couple questions. So no, I, I am very, very appreciative help everyone's rolled up their sleeve and did it with a smile. I like the roll up the sleeve metaphor. That's good because there's a lot of that going on. You got to roll up the sleeve for that shot. I wasn't aware that you could just roll up. Is that being promoted? Yeah, the ranch now is no uh, registration needed. If 
you're driving by and you say, hey, shoot, I should go get my first dose. You can just pull up. Now, it takes a little bit longer, but we can get you registered. And we're going to start doing that with all of our clinics. We're certainly not tur turning anybody away. We, If somebody comes, we're going to get them, we'll get them in the system. If they're 16 and older, for 16, 17 for Pfizer, 18 older for Moderna, we're going to get you a shot in the arm. It'll be that simple. Is this statewide now, Tom, that this is going down? It's it's the three of the large, well, I think it's four now. It's the, uh, the ranch, ball arena, the one in Pueblo at the state fairgrounds, and the one at Mesa County at the convention center are all no registration either. You've got a little bit of a race going on because as I understand it, and I probably have enough information to be dangerous, so please correct me and guide me on this, Tom, but the B117 variant is, I think, pretty dominant now from what I read in Larimer County. Is is that right? It is. We, It's pretty much taken over because how transmissible it is. It's out competing the wild strand plus uh, the other P1, which is the Brazilian strand. The good news with the B117 is the vaccines are very effective against it. So uh, that's the one good news. But yes, it is much more spread than the wild strands. So that's why face coverings and social distancing indoors is still an important protective measure while we get, while we race to get people vaccinated. I lost my job a year ago, Tom. I was one of the GMs at the Elizabeth Hotel in Old Town. And I had a brutal day, one of the worst in my career, when I laid off almost 80 of my staff. And then wow. and then it was my turn. Yeah. And restaurants are, thankfully, again, are able to open up. But as you just said, you still you still need to be cautious, right? I mean, you, you now that you've, I said to my wife this morning, you know, now you got your Kevlar underwear on, it doesn't mean you're going to go stand in front of a, uh, you know, a hail of bullets. You <laughs> just know you got some extra protection. So uh, we kind of have to approach it like this, at least in the near term. Is that, is that safe to say? It is. And I know there's some frustration among, among our residents here in the community and in both sides. Some still, they're thinking we're opening up too quick. Others say, come on, open up. Uh, quicker. And we're trying to navigate that and stay middle of the road and, and strike a balance. But it, it, it requires all of us follow those protective measures, put on the face covering, good distance indoors, because it's spreading indoors. And right now, you know, our case rate, you know, it's fairly high. If we didn't have a vaccine right now, we'd have a lot more hospitalizations. And I, I wouldn't be reporting to you that there were no deaths in April. We would be pretty similar to what we were in January. So I think that's what everyone needs to understand, that vaccines are working, but we're not there yet. Give us another three to four weeks, and by golly, if we do it right, by Memorial Day, things could be very different. It's such a good message, and it's just, it feels, it's so close. I don't want to put you on the spot, but I'll put you on the spot. Would you, with your wife and your family, would you go into a restaurant right now? Oh, I yes, and we have. We go to Level Up. We, we are very supportive of all of our Level Up businesses. They have taken the extra step to be even more cautious and have more protective measures. I felt very safe in a few of our level ups around our neighborhood. And I'm my, I can't tell you how appreciative of I am of about 400 uh, businesses that participated in our level up. We've had very few, if any complaints on our level up, and we haven't been able to link many cases back to them uh, with outbreaks. So a level up establishment, uh, they've been very safe throughout this. Which is great, and it's a great program, and it's and you are you are working that tightrope, as you said. There are others saying, "Come on, just open up, let's go," and others going, "Whoa, whoa, 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 easy." I look at it, Tom, and I just go, "Well, that's great, but if you're sitting in a restaurant and every, masks off, masks are off, and people are there, and as you just said, you know, that's this is how the spread is happening. So, outdoor dining, great. Indoor it still makes me kind of concerned, just because we're so close. We're so close to making it happen, but it sounds like you're comfortable with it. You know, Jeff, uh, definitely outdoor. If, the, if you know, let's, the last few weeks has been a little more difficult to be outdoors, but there, there in March we had a couple fantastic weather weeks. Oh yeah, outdoor option was the, the way to go because. Oh okay. Okay. Yeah, the, the 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 virus 
uh, doesn't say it's suspended in the respiratory droplets outside outdoors. And we know the spread is much more risky indoors. And I think it's it's just being cautious. Certainly, if you walk up to a business and it's full of people, that's that's a concern because the more you have, the more close counters you have, the higher the, the risk is. But uh, certainly, my experience, at least you know, since the Level Up program, is those establishments and many other establishments too, Jeff. Have, I, I all the sacrifices our businesses made, and even to you, they're uh, you know getting laid off. This has been just unprecedented the challenge oh yeah and it's amazing how a pandemic can just really turn our world upside upside down i would say most of my neighbors are unaffected if anything it's been it's been great they've been able to work from home uh 401ks continuing you know your stock market's doing really well but we know for people who are in the service sector it's been a read definition of brutal. It will continue to be so. Having said that, we can see that now you can feel the momentum, you can feel the pent-up demand, you can feel that desire to be like Israel. And companies are now in a what's beginning to be a mad dash to hire back. But there are a lot of people, Tom, who are just going, you know what? I'm I'm not sure I'm coming back to that. So it's going to be that's going to be a whole nother challenge. I wanted to ask you though, how Going back to when you were talking about, man, we're, we're, it looks like we got to go to level red here. This is really tough. How do you take care of you, Tom? How do you, how, this has been also not a sprint, a marathon, and it ain't over for you or any of us. How do you take care of you? There has to be an extraordinary amount of pressure on you as a healthcare professional, but you're a husband, you're a father. How do you take care of you? Boy, Jeff, I appreciate that question. December was tough, and I'm a runner, which that's probably got me through it. I can, I can get on a trail and get on a run, and I, and I turn my brain off, and I just I get into that, I don't know, it's kind of a zone. I, I did a lot of running in December and January, and that, that helped me. I've got a very, very supportive a wife and partner. She's amazing. She's, she's there, right? I mean, I get emotional. She, she's dealt with a lot and she's a healthcare provider or a mental healthcare provider. She'll, she'll just ask me questions. Tom, have you done this? Tom, have you went for a run? Tom, have you done that? Tom, do you need time? Uh, that's been just amazing and amazing support. And I've got two amazing children, sixth and seventh grader, that here trying to figure out how do you do virtual school? My dad's the public health director and, and they've been amazing uh, too. And just a very supportive family and, uh, and this community uh, has really helped me. When, when, you, when you brought up about, you know, personal tax at public health directors, that's true. That There's 54 public health directors in Colorado. 23 of them during this pandemic have either quit got fired or retired. Holy uh, cow. 50% yeah. of your colleagues, Tom, have said enough and pulled the ripcord? I, I was on a meeting today. With, 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 it's all of our statewide. And I, many of these people, I don't know. And I'm trying to get to know them because we're a team. And we're, we're a public health community. Uh, and many of them, I've learned that one person, one public health director, her dogs got poisoned. Another one, people were protesting on her yard. Another one vandalized their car. Uh, people were getting threats. And here in Larimer County, I didn't get any of that. I didn't receive any of that kind of treatment. Sure, I got my emails and voicemails and text messages, whatever it would be, but nothing like that that crosses the line. So in a lot of ways, I am very, very lucky and fortunate have such a supportive community and be part of such a supportive community. What is this saying, Tom, about, uh, you know, I look at, I look at a guy like Tony Fauci and I don't know how he does it. I, I just, I don't know how he does it. He's got, he's got more education than most people. He's been through more coming, just guiding us through the AIDS epidemic than most people. If, if, if there's somebody more qualified in the healthcare field and for what he's doing, uh, okay, I'd love, I'd love to know about him. 
But the personal, this guy is what, 80 something years old? I, I, I mean, the, the attacks, the viciousness, it, it's just as much as you, as much as you spun it, and I don't mean to say spun it in a pejorative way. I think it, it, it's true. The pandemic, it can, it's, it cuts both ways, right? I mean, it can absolutely bring us together, find the common good, but oh man, it can really point out our flaws and how vicious we can be to one another. It's disheartening to me to hear that 50% of your colleagues just said too much. No. And these are people who you guys go into this field for a reason. You are, it's like hospitality people. You, you have, it's what I call Tom, uh, the mutant hospitality gene. You don't have any choice. You must be of service. This sounds like where you came from. Uh, this is in your family educators. This is, this is who you are. This is who, this is that calling to be in public health. Maybe I'm being overly dramatic, but I don't think so. I don't think so. I think for all the healthcare providers uh, who are out there, it's, this, is, this is what they do because it comes from a place of caring and a need to be of service. And then when you guys have to now not only deal with the, uh, the myriad challenges at hand, but then you have to worry about personal safety attacks on on you your family your colleagues dogs were poisoned these are horrible things to hear it's encouraging that for you you did not receive that but you and your wife and your kid you you guys certainly had to if you see that going around you have to think are we next oh i, I agree it was gosh early on i had a phone conversation with sheriff justin smith and chief Swamboto that what do i need to do for my safety and uh they uh, we had a good conversation. They gave me some uh, advice uh, and some certain things I needed to do with my family and and just talking with my uh, kids, not to scare them, but just make sure they're aware of my wife. And, uh, the front door is never unlocked and certain things like that. And I've never felt unsafe, but they're like, Tom, we, we need you to do these few things and we'll do a couple of things on our end. They've been amazing. They check in on me oh, every couple of weeks, just making sure I haven't had a threat or the staff haven't had a threat. So good, good help and support by our police chief and our sheriff. So that goes a long way, too. When you were sitting with your team, because you've talked about just the support from your family and from your team, did you have consensus right away? Because you guys were facing really a total un giant question mark, total unknown. As you said, trying to figure out what coronavirus is. It's moving so quickly. It's killing people. We're seeing horrible images coming from New York City and Los Angeles and other hotspots around the country. And you guys have to be looking at this and going, okay, this is, I mean, we got to grab this thing and go, but this, this is hurtling down the tracks did you have consensus with your group tom or you know what was it was it hard to sort of get everybody in line and moving in the same direction and how did you even pick that direction <laughs> that is a great question it reminds me early on march 9th when our first case was reported to us from the state health department i thought okay now what does this mean they, you know they didn't teach you this in public health school so what do you do uh what we did here in Larimer County, and it was the right thing, we immediately joined up with the Office of Emergency Management, the county, uh, Lori, uh, and I, we got together and we said, okay, we need to put an, uh, an operation center and we need to get everybody in here. And, and she goes, Tom, not everybody's going to be public health people because this is countywide, it's statewide, it's nation, nationwide, worldwide. And I said, let's do it. And so we brought in experts, almost like a type three team to manage it, where they came in and they started putting structure in for operations, for planning. Tom, sorry, what 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 is a for those of us who don't? What is a Type Three team? What does that mean? A Type Three team, they're ones that uh, deal with more localized emergency management. Maybe like a small a fire or maybe a flood, but it, it's a small system. Type One would be a major catastrophic event, such as the forest fires we had this summer, where you have multiple teams and air air uh, issues and stuff like that but this is more of a local team that knows instant command and knows how to manage resources and logistics got it does type one also mean that uh, there might be federal involvement exactly they're usually type one team is they're very trained and that's specifically all they do and they go around the country dealing with 
uh, emergency management issues. We all got together and, and, and that's, we started working on how we set this up. And I'll tell you, it was bumpy at first. Uh, and we were figuring out, okay, how do we do contact tracing outbreaks? How are we going to get more testing at the time? We can only do 30 tests, COVID-19 tests in this community. And, and that, well, geez, that's not, that's, that's not it. 30, you just said it's 30. 30 and, now, right? and what is, what, what is the population that you're dealing with for Larimer County? 350,000 people. So, so one, 1% you're talking yeah, about. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so we were able to get up to where now we can do any day, 4,000 tests as in, in Larimer County, but that was part of those efforts. How do and you get some great minds in there that know systems approach. They know how to get people together. And we got our, our epidemiologists, we got our disease investigators, we got our nurses, we, you know, our environmental health specialists and, and then everyone else that, that has a mindset for how you manage an emergency. And that set us up for success by, you know, April, May timeframe, we were humming. We were at things starting to work. We started getting more tests in our community. Uh, we were getting more materials through logistics. Our staff were getting kind of their, their, their rhythm going. Uh, and our community, our big thing is communication. I mean, how do you get all this information out? So within that operation, we had a joint information center where they were working pretty much 24-7 on phone calls, texts, social media, uh, news releases, managing the media and uh, media requests. So that all got us to where we were so excited in May, our cases and hospitalizations were low enough that we applied for a variance and were granted the variance by the state to open up to where we were in the summer. So I think that's kind of answered it. It was a team effort. It was me stepping back saying, I can't manage this all. I got to rely on experts here, experts that might not know a thing about health, but they know how to set up systems and they know how to manage resources. And that, that paid off dividends. Did you feel at any point that you were, you said it was a little bumpy. Did you feel at any point, Tom, that you were hurting cats? You had such disparate elements that you couldn't really find that groove or did everybody just sort of fall into place? I would say there were times we all were like, oh my goodness, just, it's just the all, it was the ever changing information. You know, one minute, for, for example, face covering masks. Early on, oh, you know, they don't they don't do much, and then all of a sudden, CDC says, "No, they do," and we're looking at it. So, changing that information that's difficult. That that was, in some ways, hurting information. And I wouldn't say it was the people. It was just, okay, now we got to pivot. Now we got to come over here. That was frustrating. That was difficult. And I know it was really frustrating for our community. Oh, yeah, no question. I was on an early call that you did with the community. And I want to say a woman who was the communications director, Tom, I'm not I'm not going to remember. But I, I was impressed then as I am now with, I want to say... Is it ice water in your veins? That the, is this the thing with the Gonzalez uh, lineage? I mean, how do you stay so calm, cool, and collected through all of this? You seem naturally even keeled. Is this your demeanor? <laughs> my, my, if you, that would be a good question for my wife. Uh, I was going to say your 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 wife may say something very different. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I was mentored by some really strong leaders through my life. One of them, my mom, uh, I get emotional here. My grandfather, just people that have difficult jobs that, you know, in, we, we would see the one side of them where they're frustrated and maybe go outside and be, gosh, this is tough. But when they got in front of the people they serve, they, 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 they got the face straight and they said, okay, I got to be a strong leader. I've got to show this community we've got this. We keep, we're we're going we're gonna to lead with good science. That's kind of what I was brought up. Early on, it was difficult. But the more I saw, the community saw me positive, the more I said, we got this. If we rally as, as a community, we can overcome this. I started seeing that energy go throughout the community. Again, back to our variants. I was so proud of it. And at one point in this pandemic, one day, June 12th, I'll never forget it, we actually had nobody in our hospitals being treated for COVID-19. I thought, oh my gosh, we can do this. And of course, 
you know, this virus never gives up. It's relentless. I, I, I would say it's great staff, great support. Uh, my board of health, you know, I report to uh, the board of health. It's a, a group of five in our community. They are appointed by the board of county commissioners. I've got a couple of doctors. I uh, had a nurse at the time, an environmental person, a business owner. They were giving me tremendous support. I could call them. I could vent. They would say, Tom, you're doing, listen here, just keep staying the course. They were kind of my sounding board for many, many, uh, many nights. You know, those behind the scenes, those people that really support you, that listen to you, give you good advice. That's that's how I got through this. And that's how I can appear having, would you say, ice water veins? Ice water in your veins. It sounds like you were and are the right man at the right time. You know, I love that you credited your mom. This didn't just happen. You were groomed this way. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. So send it, call your mom, send a card. <laughs> I, I will. <laughs> Not only are you dealing with COVID, but you're dealing with everything that you would normally deal with in your regular day to day which is, what's that scope for you, Tom? What is that? Because that doesn't just stop. Hey, everybody, we're dealing with the pandemic. Hold that thought. That doesn't happen. Yeah, that's a great question, Jeff. And I always start with public health for the most time has been called the, the invisible profession. We're the ones behind the scenes that are making sure your restaurants are safe to eat at, that the, you know, the air you breathe, the water you drink is safe. Uh, there are a lot of things we do behind the scenes with with our nurses uh, and uh, mommies and babies and making sure they have a good uh, start to life. And, and that's so important. Uh, our nutrition specialists, uh, we do a lot of health education in the background on policy work to make sure that it's equitable in our community for the delivery of our health services. Uh, and that's, that stuff had to continue. And it's important to continue. Uh, I made a decision early on at the time. I didn't have a deputy uh, director. I'd only been on the job a little over a year here as the public health director for Larimer. And I appointed a very, very talented one of our leadership team members, a director, Andrea Clement Johnson, to deputy and basically asked her if she would run the day to day aspects of the health department while I put all my attention to this pandemic. She did that. She did a fantastic job, continues to do a fantastic job. So it, it was one of those moments as a leader, I knew I can't do it all. And if I tried to do it all, I was going to fail. And then the team would fail and our community would fail. So it was important to make sure we, we divided and conquered and we knew each other's what the roles are and that we support each other. And that was a decision I made early on. And that was one of the best decisions I made uh, during this pandemic. In delegating that way, Tom, did you did you feel that okay, we can handle our regular day to day and handle this crisis, or were there days where, whoo, hey, there's where the stuff stuff's falling through the cracks here, people? Oh, I, you know, my I look at my staff every day and hardworking individuals. You're right. You don't get into public health because you're going to go get rich. You get in it because you want to help people. Uh, your heart is in the community. You're a public servant. There were days, and these some of these were Saturday afternoon. Uh, you brought up our communications director, Katie O'Donnell, who's been fantastic through this pandemic. Katie O'Donnell, she was wonderful on that call. Yeah. I, there's times where I'm like, we're all so tired. And it's like, we got to give ourselves a night off. We we have to do, let's take turns. Let's have backups. Were we good at that early on? No, we were probably horrible at it. And we darn near killed ourselves. But as this kept continued, we got better at that. And that was what was the great win-win out of that is we brought up other rising stars within our, our uh, agency and got them into leadership roles. And they started really shining as well. So we've got better and stronger leaders in our agency because of this, because we take a step back and say, I'm going to give myself two days to rest, rest my mind, connect with my family and let somebody else go. And then they do a really good job and they learn, and you know, from their challenges. So I think that was something that I look back as kind of a silver lining for our staff. But, but at the end of the day, we've got some very, very tired public health staff 
as well as our healthcare providers, our heroes in the hospitals, our long-term care facilities. You want to talk about a miserable time. We were losing some of our long-term care facilities, losing one to two residents a week to this virus. Everybody was tired. So I think when we get out of this pandemic that day, a lot of us are going to need to, I don't know, we're going to need some emotional um, support because this has been a very, very difficult time. Great segue there, Tom. And this is about the healing for the holistic approach. You got the healers need to be healed. It seems to me, and I'm no clinician, but there's going to be more than enough PTSD for everyone to share in. And when you finally, you finally take that seatbelt off, decompress, boom, it's going to hit and it's probably going to come in waves. So how are you managing the mental health of your team now? And touching on what you just mentioned, is there a plan or are there discussions for going forward, how you manage the mental health? And when you get out on the other side of as this thing really tapers, that decompression, again, how do you care for each other? The way you frame that, Jeff, is just perfect, the decompression. I kind of share a story and then and even get into some things we're doing now and what we're going to be planning for in the future. Yesterday, I, I got the opportunity to go meet with the educators at birth at high school uh, and just see how hard it is for them to try to run a school in person learning, which is so important, something that we value so much. But they have all these protective measures and the quarantine and the contact tracing. What I saw in this auditorium of educators spread all over uh, with good physical distancing is a lot. They were tired and you could tell we're just barely going to get across the finish line here. And, and I look at not only our educators, I look at our healthcare workers, our long term care, our businesses, our public health staff, that we got to be checking in with each other. It was something we started early on, probably about May we now meet as a whole organization. We hired 50 temporary staff and volunteers to help uh, on these efforts. And we were a staff of about 100 before the pandemic. Now we're about 152. And we we do every week for 30 minutes, we do an all-staff meeting. We get them on. We, we go, do some highlights, and then we do some recognition. And any, any staff can recognize a team member or a team. And we've also brought in our county HR folks. They, they do... They spend usually 10, 15 minutes going over some exercises that you can do to help meditate, decompress. That's been a hit. They come about once a month. We've also got some support from the the, the state health department through Summit Stone. Uh, It's no cost. Our staff can can utilize their services, talk to to a professional, decompress. Uh, uh, I know some of our staff are taking uh, those benefits and and utilizing them. And I think long-term, we're really strategizing with, with the county HR and, and our benefits team. What can we do to really make sure that, like you say, PTSD, that our staff get ongoing support, both you know, mentally, well-being. Once we get out of this, I think we're all going to be kind of, I don't know what the word is, Jeff, but I think it's all going to hit us. I know it's going to hit me. And I'm going to need some help. I'm going to probably need to talk to somebody. I'm going to need some time. And we're already planning for that and that time. And I hope it's sooner than later where we can actually start taking care of ourselves and recovering. Sounds like you're on top of this. I would expect nothing less, but that's easy for, I think, for people to forget about themselves, be very selfless, and then suddenly go, oh, wow. And hit and hit that wall, and and as you said, that 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 wall is coming. What can the community do? What can we do, Tom, to support you guys, you and your team, who have supported us? And uh, you know, so many of you are faceless. Um, you went from a hundred to one hundred and fifty people. That's that's a lot of people that are hustling behind the scenes to get us through this and beyond. What can we do to be supportive? You know, it's the little things that go a long way. I, I, I'm looking here at a card we recently got from Poudre School District administration team because we've been working very closely with our three school districts uh, through these challenging times. But they just sent us a nice card to all the staff just 
thanking us for, for all our hard work and congratulating us for National Public Health Week, which is the first week in April. You know, I get these cards, we scan them, I, show, I, I share them to all the staff. Those things go a long way because we sometimes wonder, do, do the, does the public care? Do they really know? Did, do, are, we, are we really making a difference? And when you get a card like that, uh, we've had uh, we got one from Columbine Health Systems. It meant a lot to us that they said thank you. We we've saved lives working together. We got one from UC Health. I think those cards go a long way. And in return, we want to get cards to all, all of the folks that have been behind the scenes as well. But something like that, Jeff, it's amazing. You know, uh, uh, buying a two dollar card and putting some thoughts into it, it goes a long ways with our staff. It really means a lot. I want to say thank you, Tom, to you and your team. I have been and continue to be incredibly impressed with how you guys are doing what you are doing. And for a lot of it, making it up as you go, as you said, they don't really teach you this in school. It doesn't go and hasn't gone unnoticed. I know we're still in this, but I so appreciate you taking the time to share some of these inside perspectives, personal and from your team, the bigger picture with me and with us today. And much appreciated, Tom. Well, you're welcome. It, I enjoy this. It, it's good to go back and talk about the challenges, the lessons learned, uh, and, and just kind of reminisce. But one thing I had mentioned is the innovation. Yeah that came is coming out of this pandemic. Uh, I am, I'm seeing my staff come up with some amazing creative ways to improve our work. I'm seeing our businesses. Oh my goodness. Think, look at our restaurants, how they got through red, the innovation there and, and our, our gyms, our, our workout centers. You look at where we're going to be after this pandemic. And I want to believe we are going to be a way more innovative society, whether that's working at home or working at, at work or our hybrid approach and our communications like right now um, I'm, I'm virtual and we're having this fantastic conversation. So I, I hope, uh, you know, this has been such a dang challenge and loss of life and the, the difficulty on everyone, but hopefully some, some innovation that we can hold on to uh, after this pandemic. Decompression we talked about is real and will happen differently for different people at different times. Seems to me we have to find a way to take care of each other and ourselves. I'm truly thankful for these health professionals, the men and women like Tom Gonzalez. Thanks for hanging with Tom and I. I hope you'll join me again with new episodes dropping every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Mountain Time. If you enjoy No Bed of Roses, and I hope you do, may I ask you consider sharing the link to this episode or any episode you like with one, two, or three of your friends. One is fine, two or three even better. Just help us grow a bit. Until next time, stay safe, and remember, you'll find No Bed of Roses wherever you find fine podcasts. Thanks. See you soon. Bye.